being a leader and being bold is not necessarily about being ego and driven by fear and what's not going to happen, but really stepping into belief and understanding that you can create this. And so when I look at the neuro performance is really unpacking what is underneath the drive for especially female leaders in how they are showing up, like what's creating the burnout? How do they perceive themselves that they are worthy that, you know, the confidence comes from within. So really just unpacking how they're operating, what they're feeling and going back, you know, to childhood, to environment, to societal norms, like what's impacting how they're showing up and what they believe and how do we change the story around that? So they can show up from a place of, of love, a place of neutrality and a place where they really believe in themselves. Welcome to the new beyond a podcast that invites listeners to learn how to not only think outside the box, but learn how to live outside it. The new beyond is a place in consciousness that lies beyond ideas of normal and abnormal. It's a place where the new comfort zone has much more to do with your willingness to play big and be uncomfortable while you're learning how to navigate this brave new world. Hello, I'm Dr. Judith Rich, an octogenarian, coach, and author of the best-selling book, Beyond the Box. I've spent nearly five decades in the field of transformation, coaching people all over the world how to identify and break through old patterns and limiting beliefs that have kept them stuck and challenged to move their lives in the direction of what matters most. In this podcast, we'll hear from some interesting people in the field of transformation and others who, by example, are courageously tearing down old walls reinventing themselves, and building their lives in the new beyond. And I'll be adding some personal perspective and hopefully some wisdom and insight as we go. So let's dive in as we begin an adventure in going beyond where you think you can go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The New Beyond. I am Judith Rich, and I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Alex Leanne. Do you go by Alex Leanne, or is it Alex Leanne Carter? I guess the full name is Alex Leanne Carter, and then yeah. professionally Alex Leanne. Yeah. Okay, professionally Alex Leanne, because I see you using both. Let me share with you. First of all, let me share that Alex and I have been in a coaching mentoring relationship or were in a coaching and mentoring relationship for a year. So I had an opportunity to be with her through her leadership journey as she both was involved in her own process and in coaching others. So it's exciting to come for full circle to welcome you today to the new beyond. Alex, so let me tell our listeners a, a bit about you. Alex Leanne Carter is best known for being a confidence-boosting, neurohacking expert and performance neuro coach who empowers female executives to be bold leaders. She helps her clients optimize their performance through confidence, self-worth, and courageous action. As co-host of the Unleashed and Unstoppable podcast, she blends neuroscience with leadership and productivity principles 
to help her clients create rapid breakthrough results without burnout by teaching them how to neutralize and erase old thought patterns that no longer serve the life and vision they have set out to create. Burnout in female leaders is on the rise. And as someone who experienced burnout at what she thought was the peak of her career, Alex Leanne is on a mission to work with, speak to, coach and train as many women leaders as possible to break this cycle once and for all. Alex Leanne, welcome to the new beyond. Thank you, Judith. Sorry. Thank you, Judith. It's so just a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm excited to have you. There's, I hardly know where to begin. There's just, (laughs) there's so much here, but first let's just put this on the table in case something occurs during this podcast, (laughs) because Alex is in her 38th week or 39th week of pregnancy. So she's basically there. (laughs) And we were just having a little chat before we started recording that this baby could decide to come at any moment. (laughs) And in fact, you shared last night, you actually thought she might be right. (laughs) And you you asked her to just, just hold off for a a few more hours. (laughs) So, so that could happen, which is really exciting. So I don't know, let's just, let's, here you are, uh, a mom of, is it, it uh, Abby is what, three or four? Almost, she's two and a half. Oh, she's two and a half. Yep. If a two and a half year old daughter and another daughter about to make her entrance. Yeah. Yeah. So share with us a bit about what it's like to be in this, in this space of just about to give birth, because what could be more bold and brave and courageous and daring than giving birth. Yeah. What's Uh, your, what's your birth plan? You know that I was thinking about that the other day and it's surrender Judith, which I know that, you know, that for me, that has been a process, especially when you're someone who really likes to be in control of things. But I really realized, especially after Abby, when she arrived, she was fast and furious and came super quickly surprises two weeks early and I realized for this, I, I get to surrender because anything is possible, right? I mean, she could come at any time and I just get to be in the moment and enjoy the moment. And I thought about that even this morning, like I, I just get to hold my baby and, and watch her move and just really embrace and enjoy these, these last moments because, you know, they could be gone tomorrow. They could be gone next week and enjoy, enjoy this moment. Yeah. Well, the second child is a bit of a game changer. (laughs) (laughs) Will you have, uh, will you have, you know, support, help, assistance, someone there to, I know you're married and your husband will be there. Of course, is grandma or anyone else going to be on the scene there with you? So not during the birth, Uh, my mom arrives May 13th. So it's possible that she's here before, after the baby arrives. And then, so we do have help lined up my mom and my sister, my mother-in-law. They are all scheduled to fly in and help us out because there's my husband and I here in Calgary. And then we have our neighbor who is on standby if need be to help out with Abigail. So just even putting that plan together for her to think about how to set her up for success and make sure that she's taken care of. So we're just in that process of finalizing those 
those little things so that everyone is set up for success for yeah. with this yeah new arrival. That's great. And I wouldn't expect any less of you to have it all buttoned <laughs> down and organized and planned because it's just who you are. And it's really, it's really what you teach and how you coach, how to maximize performance. However, you have a particularly interesting way that I'm not familiar with called neuro coaching. You're a neuro coach. You're a certified neurohacking expert and performance neuro coach. Could you could you just kind of unpack that for us and tell us a bit about what does a neurohacking expert do yeah. and how does a neuro performance coach how is that different than say performance coaching? Yeah, it's looking under really looking under the source of what's creating the the high performance. So I speak often a lot of times on you know, reaching peak performance without burnout or is reaching for peak performance causing burnout, looking at my own journey and my own experience to under, when I unpacked what created my burnout and a lot of it came down to my beliefs, what I thought, how I believed or perceived myself and how I had to operate. Um, I was taught over and over again in my leadership position, that leadership was lonely at the top. And so based on that belief and that thought that leadership is very lonely, I then made decisions and took actions and creative results based on that belief that it needed, it was lonely. You know, I also grew up with hard time trusting other people. And so because I had a hard time trusting other people, I went at it very alone. And so you can sort of see right, the lone wolfing, doing things alone, needing to prove my worth, prove my knowledge, prove my skills, feeling like if I didn't have the right answer that my credibility would be jeopardized and just really operating from a place of, I guess, not necessarily strength, but almost a place of constantly with this fear and operating from ego and needing to just do, do, do. And I think that's something that I've really learned in my leadership journey. And Judith, you're a part of that to help me understand that, you know, being a leader and being bold is not necessarily about being ego and driven by fear and what's not going to happen, but really stepping into belief and understanding that you can create this. And so when I look at the neuro performance is really unpacking what is underneath the drive for especially female leaders in how they are showing up, like what's creating the burnout, how do they perceive themselves that they are worthy that, you know, the confidence comes from within. So really just unpacking how they're operating, what they're feeling and going back, you know, to childhood, to environment, to societal norms, like what's impacting how they're showing up and what they believe and how do we change the story around that? So they can show up from a place of, of love, a place of neutrality and a place where they really believe in themselves. And so that they embody that. And it's not just about all the doing, but it's also like in their being of how they show up as a leader. Yeah. It sounds like um, perhaps a slightly different approach to developing the female aspects of leadership. I mean, you're, are you working yeah. primarily with women or yeah. exclusively with women? I have worked with a lot of men actually as well. Um, the, the commonality with men that I've also been able to work with is, is for them, it's like they wake up one day, one day and realize like, the relationships are um, being jeopardized. You know, they're, they're like, you know, they realize like, wow, my kids are growing really fast. I want to spend more time with them. So it, it's, it's interesting with men. It's like something kind of hits them 
one day. And so I, I surprisingly have worked with a lot of men. Um, and I focus a lot with women because of just having been there myself and experienced that. Um, so it's really interesting to look at what, what tends to happen with different, with women and, and, and men of when they kind of come to that realization of, of, I mean, for me, the story was there's this, this isn't sustainable as a woman. I'm like, this is not sustainable. I knew I wanted to start a family. I knew something had to change. I didn't know how to, how to get off the hamster wheel. I think it's kind of like that for men as well. I think their drivers just sometimes might contribute to their decision a bit differently. Yeah. What was the nature of the hamster wheel wheel you were on? Take us back to that because you talk about 12 years ago, if I've got this correctly. Um, I don't know, maybe I just made that number up. But you 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 take us back to a time when you thought you were at the peak of your career. Um so what was going on in your life? What what was the context? Were were you in a corporate setting? What was the context? And yeah. what were you doing in that setting? So I was a director of educational technology and innovation. So, you know, six figure tech company or what kind of company uh, for an independent school. So I had school. Yeah. So my background's in education. So I had very quickly worked my way up in leadership positions in different schools globally. I've taught in countries um, around the world and across Canada as well. So I had an opportunity to teach and also be part of leadership teams globally and it was just that strive for the top and the strive for be you know being the best and 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 having that recognition of of being at the top because i was looking for the validation of to prove my worth of what my knowledge was and how good i was or how smart i was and so that's why i thought it was at the peak because i'm like oh my goodness i've got this title right I'm like here i've arrived <laughs> exactly and i realized though even though i had the title you know, and I might have the the paycheck and I had all these responsibilities. I still had a really hard time believing that I was worthy of it. You know, that is such a common story, I think, particularly among women. I'm sure many men have that same issue and story as well, but it seems to be so much more common with women striving and working and being ambitious to get to the destination and then getting there and not, you know, not believing that you deserve to be there, not believing that you're the person, uh, you're the person to hold down that spot. Where do you think at all in your own personal story, (laughs) going back, um, when did you first, like, when I think about myself, the first time, the first indication I had as a child, I was in fourth grade and this is such a tiny little example, but it's the first time I had an experience that an adult who happened to be a teacher in fourth grade looked upon me as a leader. That was the first indication I had that someone saw me as a leader. I didn't even see myself that way. It was so tiny. It was in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher you know, who knew that teachers had to go to the bathroom during class, right? <laughs> so when my fourth grade teacher would leave the room, she would turn to me and she would say, Judy, which I was Judy as a kid, Judy, you're in charge of the room while I'm gone. I had no idea. I'm in fourth grade. I have no idea what she wants, what that meant. What was I supposed to do? 
you know, so I did nothing, you know, I just sat at my desk, but I'm curious about you, this, you know, your leadership capacity and your vision and being pulled in this direction didn't just start where, where, what's your earliest memories of being seen as a leader or feeling like maybe you had that potential? Oh, I mean, I feel like it just goes back for, to the beginning. And I also looked at it as a, a survival technique. My parents divorced when I was quite young and my family is overseas in the UK. And so it was just, kind of just like our little family. And so I feel like the strive came to just to be um, accepted or to be seen. I think it comes back down to be seen, even though it's interesting you say about the being seen as a leader, because I found that even in the leadership position, like I, even with the name, it was still, did I see myself as that leader? I was always looking for other people to validate that they saw me as a leader, but that's what's coming to me is like, it's, it was like a survival technique to, to stand out probably because of all the things that were going on at home. I wanted to stand out at school so that people saw me. So it was a and way it to be seen. wasn't even a conscious thing, was it? No, I mean, it's not no. like you consciously said to yourself, okay, here's a technique I'm going to use. It's just, it, it was just innate is what yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, and, you know, I, what's coming to me right now is we're in thinking about even when my parents were still together, there's, you know, a lot of fighting and arguing. And so it's like, if I could come home with good news of like, standing out with grades or being picked for something and being selected. I feel it because I've done, I've done some discovery, like in some of the leadership work to kind of get to that in terms of to break that cycle or to bring some, some happiness and joy inside the home to be, to be seen like that. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. I, I was the youngest with two older brothers both of who, whom were, just to put it mildly, were a bit of rascals. <laughs> they were get, they got into some, some pretty good, uh, pretty good trouble. And as the only girl and, you know, much, much younger than both of them, like you, I took it upon myself to be the one who kind of balanced out that energy of upset and all, you know, all the things that they brought into the family. I saw that I took on the role of being the one who tried to make up for all of that. Is that what you're saying? That you well, felt- as you said that I was the oldest. Ah, so I think oh. just protecting my sister. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So, so you took on this role of protector and, uh, maybe there's a bit of a savior there. I think in my, in my own case, I think Mm -hmm. there was definitely a savior sort of complex in there that somehow it was my job to make my parents feel like they weren't complete failures. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so here you are at the peak of your career and you're realizing that it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So how did you, how did you handle that? Did you just decide to leave or how did you know it's so interesting at about a year before my official like burnout I was googling burnout and the thoughts that came into my mind were you know if I were to take some time off or just try to try to realign or just check in with what's what's happening with me right now I would look weak 
Ah, yeah. So I had, again, it's like, it's, it's these beliefs that it's like, I wasn't necessarily aware of, but I would say that combining the pressure of performance and results, uh, I started to experience a lot more anxiety and I I feel like my, my thoughts, my beliefs and these negative thoughts just kind of hijacked a lot of maybe potential that I saw, because I also was looking for motivation and confidence. Like I wasn't, I got to a point where I wasn't operating from that same place that I had been hired, right? Like I, I felt very different. I felt very out of aligned. And this is where this, these questions started to come up. And yet I didn't want to look weak for even acknowledging how I was feeling. So I believed I could do it all by myself. I didn't right again, leadership is lonely. That's or at hard. least you pretended you could. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, I learned, I learned then from the next year that body keeps score. Yes. And then about a year later is literally where I, you know, it was something so simple. I had a teacher come up to me and ask me a question in the hallway. I was so afraid to give her the wrong answer because again, my credibility, I didn't want it to be jeopardized. I didn't want her to, to not see me in a certain way or a light. I didn't want her to judge me and my body just completely collapsed. And I was off work for six months after that. From that moment, body collapsed. Yeah. What did that look like? So in that particular moment, heart palpitations, I couldn't stand. I actually had someone assist me to be able to sit down uncontrollable crying and just, it was, yeah, I was just trembling essentially. Like, you know, it's like my body had escaped me and it was, my body was just saying like something needs to change. Now from my perspective, I, I might also insert here that it was your body and it was also your soul speaking Yeah, because you were out of alignment with, uh, I want to say you were also out of alignment with your soul's agenda Mm -hmm. and it was costing you a great deal. I mean, the price that you kept paying and kept paying. And when you eventually the price became too high, but if, if from my background um, I've learned that the soul comes in with an agenda and our our purpose in this at this human level is to fulfill and complete that agenda of the soul and if we don't it will engineer our life so that it will steer our life you know that the soul will have its way with us one way or another so we can surrender and go oh okay i get it and go with it which is what i hear that you're more aligned with today in your life. Yeah. And, you know, but wow, the high cost, the high price of the lessons that we get or that, you know, that fall upon us when we don't get that. So, Mm -hmm. so, so at the end of those six months that you took off, um, did you go back to teaching or did you, was that your exit? So I did go back on, like, I kind of did a slow transition back to work and I was pregnant at that time. So I kind of went back to, you know, in an area, like I got back to my zone of genius, really supported where I, I shined, I thrived. And then I went, and then I had maternity leave and on my six months, I, you know, was so committed to fix myself. I became a, you know, a master certified neuro coach and then high achiever women started coming to me and started looking for guidance and advice because even in those moments, I still felt alone. So I started entering this entrepreneurship space and I started to meet more women. And I started to learn that, Oh, there are other women out there just like me or that operate this way or have these beliefs. 
And so that was a really, really big eye-opening for myself to see that I, I had operated up until a certain point by myself thinking, thinking that no one else out there is like me. No one thinks like this. They don't feel these pressures to being open to a world of like, oh, okay, there are other high-performing females leaders out there that have experienced similar thoughts and that, you know, burnout was actually a thing that a lot of people, especially women were dealing with. Hi listeners. I'm interrupting our interview for a minute to tell you about my new six week online course called the way of wisdom, deepening the journey in the second half of life, beginning July 12. After navigating the deep waters of my own life for over 80 years, I'm ready to take you with me on a journey to your own deeper waters. As we approach or are well into the second half of life, we realize that the road ahead is much shorter than the road already traveled. And that realization brings up a lot of questions about life in general and our own life in particular. Questions about meaning and purpose, about leaving a legacy, and what really matters now in this second half of life. These are just a few of the questions that invite us into a deeper exploration of that well of wisdom you already have within. So if this calls to you, come on over to my website and learn more about this opportunity. We begin July 12, and there's an early bird discount available until June 12. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And now, back to the show. Then what that do you think it to- is about the way women are um, conditioned? that burnout is seems to be more common among women than among men. What is that dynamic? Do you think that is deeply embedded in women? Like you're an example of it, that women will tend to override Mm -hmm. their, you know, their intuition or so they're so divorced from uh, the more female qualities that they don't, they're not attuned to their body. They're not Mm -hmm. attuned to their intuition um, what, what do you see as the patterns there? I think a big thing for women, especially in corporate is the corporate setting. It's very masculine. I mean, this is something that I know that Judith, you and I have talked about, you know, understanding the masculine energy and the feminine energy. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it even existed until very, you know, in the last couple of years. So that in itself being in, you know, the box. <laughs> so yeah. I, you know, looking at the box of corporate and the way that it's built and just the generation of how it's set up, then um, women wanting to be accepted. So looking at the neuroscience of kind of sort of the roots of wanting to be loved and accepted, feeling worthy enough, and then feeling safe and secure. If any of those are, things are being jeopardized, you're going to revert back to wanting to be that. So if it's, you know, for me in, I was in educational technology, but I walk into a room and there's about a hundred guys in there and I'm only female. And not only am I the only female, I'm also probably 10 to 20 years younger than most in the room. And I'm the only educator with a bunch of guys with IT backgrounds. So, you know, th- that can be feel intimidating. And so you, you want to be accepted. You want people to see you, you, so that's where the brain comes in about these thoughts about how you operate and, um, being, I think for women, they, they get disconnected with that. They get disconnected from 
that the love and the feminine energy, and they keep doing, doing, and producing and producing operating from the masculine energy. And then they burn out because it's so much over here. And then they've got parts that are not being fulfilled and being acknowledged and being tended to because of the striving of the doing that happens for a lot of women. Yeah. When you play the boys game, you play by the boys rules. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that striving for validation and approval and acceptance. And, you know, I'm good enough to play with the boys and play the boys game. And so, so you became a, uh, a, a performance neuro coach. So what does it mean to neuro hack your way to success? Uh, teach me how to neuro hack my way. <laughs> well, it's really looking at, I mean, what, what is the result you're looking for? You know, I like to look backwards of like, what is the result, right? If, if women, for example, are looking to create more work-life balance, like getting clear on what that is, because even saying work-life balance, wh- what is that? Yeah. Right. It, it's, we hear the concept a lot out there and then, you know, there's a lot of controversy, like, does it really exist? And you've got integration, you have all of these different aspects. Yeah. So one thing is getting really clear on what it is that you want. And our brains like to kind of protect us from that. Because a lot of times it takes like 10 questions to actually get really clear on what somebody actually wants. Yeah. And a lot of times when it comes to performance, it's not linked to actually what you want. It's linked to what other people want for you. Mm-hmm. So getting really yeah, clear with yeah. that. So expectations. And, yeah. yeah. And so that's getting, creating alignment, getting clear on what's, what's important to you, your values and identity, right? How you not only just identity in terms of like how people perceive you and how you feel like you need to show up again, based on those expectations, but how do you perceive yourself? You know, a lot of times, and that was what I realized I was, I didn't see myself as a director, even though I had the title and I had the name, I kept looking for the validation that I was that director, that I was good enough and I can make the impact. So just operating by complete misalignment of how I perceive myself and what I thought about myself. And then the results that was, that I was striving for in my job. And then because of the perception I had that impacted the decisions that I made, which impacted the actions I took, which impacted the results. And so I ended up working really hard because I was constantly looking for validation. Like it felt good when someone says, yeah, you're such a hard worker, but I learned working hard doesn't equate to necessarily meeting the outcomes of what you're, you're striving for based on, you know, strategic planning and things like that. So, and, and, and just, you know, the, the people pleasing. And I mean, I've recently learned that I had a story that I didn't land communication and I get really frustrated. So then I go down the self beat up, like, why am I not good enough? And so just the constant self beat up and, and learning a lot about the negative negativity bias, how we're nine times more negative to ourselves than other people. So being able to hack that, be able to hack or interrupt the thought pattern that goes to the negative to be able to insert acknowledgement for yourself and celebration for yourself, being able to be aware of what drives the decision-making and how are you showing up and, and believing and thinking and how you're, how you're feeling as well in situations. And you know, being- it's interesting as you're talking and I'm hearing you use the term hack. Now the, the term hack is a common term today. It, it hasn't always been a common <laughs> term and it strikes me that it's a very masculine term. Interesting. Yeah. Hack, it sounds, yeah, like- you're right. <laughs> it's a very masculine term. 
Yeah. So on the one hand, um, if I'm, if, if my work is to bring myself and bring a woman to a greater awareness and realization of what's really going on underneath, and I'm speaking in language of hacking, I'm not sure. I don't know. How do you, I mean, is that just so accepted that nobody even questions it? Perhaps I'm of an older generation where, you know, I'm hacking my way through aging or something like that. I, I just somehow there's something about that term that never quite landed for me. But you made a distinction just now. You said interrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you you switched and you used the word interrupt. Now I'm very tuned into language. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> and the term interrupt. Oh, now that speaks to me. So when you say, when you use the term hack, you're really meaning interrupt, to yeah. interrupt automatic way beliefs, automatic patterns, automatic behaviors. It's an interruption. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And yeah. Judith, you're always so good at that. I'm picking up the masculine, right? But see, it's, I think, in, again, with that performance piece, that's we tend to lead a lot with that masculine. So I love yeah. it, but yes, it is. I'm standing for the interruption of, of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking that the hamster wheel, right? Like it's, it's interrupting the hamster It's stopping the hamster wheel so that it yeah. stops because it's just going on automatic. Right. Right. Well, so much of everyone's life. I, I don't care who we are. So much of our life is automatic, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's automatic and I'm clear that I'm choosing it that the first thing I do in the morning when I get up is make my coffee and have my coffee. It's automatic and it's also choice. But mm-hmm. but what you're bringing people to when you're interrupting those patterns is have is bringing them to a an opening where they can choose mm-hmm. consciously choose yeah how they need to be or how they want to be. So what I heard you say is you're shifting a focus from doing to being. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, and and I want to just lean into when you're talking about the conscious piece is that one of the biggest takeaways, like my big aha moment after the burnout, I started learning about neuroscience and thought patterns and and just what created the, the burnout was that, you know, 90 to 95, some research says even 97% of our daily actions and decisions come from the subconscious, come from that automation. And yeah. so when you think about choice, you know, you realize that there's just a little small margin. And so to make those conscious decisions and to be consciously just aware of what's actually happening. And that's what it was for me. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. Like I say, I realize now I'm like, I feel like my thought, my subconscious was like hijacked by all this negativity. And it was just being able to take, be back in the driver's seat of, your life and what is it you do want to create? So you are living in alignment. And so with the, with the being piece, it comes back to what's important to you. You know, I have an example this or last summer we were traveling and before we went away, I set an intention. I set an intention that I really want to create connect, uh, connected, loving, joyful time with my family. I and <laughs> I, I was coaching you back then. Yes. Cause I was, I guess I remember making that declaration. I'm thinking, yeah. Hey, w- um, guess we want to go to, to the UK. My daughter's going to meet 
like my dad and all our families over there, but I really got to set an intention. And that's something that I never, I never operated from. It was always, again, what's the result? What's the result? What's the result versus how do I want to be? How do I want to want to feel? How do I want to experience this experience? And there were so many times on that trip that I found myself feeling this FOMO feeling like, and comparing this trip to previous trips. So a lot of previous trips, when we go to England, there's a lot of doing, you go here, you go there, you're visiting this person, you're visiting that person. And I caught myself multiple times feeling this, this like uneasiness and this angst, like we should be doing more. We should be doing more. And because I had an intention set, I, there are days where I would say it multiple times. I went back to my intention, my intention to be here is to create connected, loving, you know, joyful time, my family. And I would sit there and see my daughter laughing with my dad on the couch. And like, that's, that's what I'm creating here. These memories. It's not about all the doing it's about her getting to laugh and, and climb and be, be silly. And that really grounded me because we, it's so easy in such a busy world that we get busy doing all the things and we have our to-do list and we've got the results that we easily get disconnected with the why, the why that we're even here and what's important and those values. And I think that's been a big shift for me with this pregnancy. It didn't start off that way, but as I got more pregnant, you know, I got to acknowledge like, this is nine months. This is, you know, it's not a lifetime. It's this little moment Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to start the bonding and creating that relationship with the baby and just enjoying this process Mm -hmm. is comparing it to my previous pregnancy you know, and just being able to, to be in those moments. And so that's been a big shift of coming up to, because I'm so clear now what's important to me. It's so much easier to set those intentions and to be intentional in the morning, to set those intentions of, of how I want to enjoy the day, you know, how I want to be with my clients, how I want to show up on the podcast and goes back to, I often say the why that'll make you cry because then you know that you're in your heart. Oh, I like that. The why that will make you cry. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, you said something um, a minute ago about enjoying the process. And I think that's feminine process Mm -hmm. versus outcome. Yeah. So the masculine way is to focus on the outcome and whatever it takes to get there and by any means necessary to get to the outcome. And what I hear you saying is you have shifted your own focus and this is involved in the work that you're doing with women is shifting their focus to the process. Mm -hmm. Like who do they want to be on their way to the outcome? Yes. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, in my own experience, it's like, I can set uh, an intention. I can make a declaration and begin the process. And somewhere along the way, in the middle of the process, Something new arises, some new awareness, some new opening, some something gets revealed that I didn't know at the start, right? Exactly. And so yeah. the road, the road turns. The road takes a right where I thought I was going straight, right? And am I willing to take that right turn? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to be present enough in the moment that I see? Oh, okay. This, this is where I'm organically, I guess that's the word I'm searching for here. I think that feminine leadership is a more organic kind of leadership Mm -hmm. uh, that is in in the moment 
And I, do you think corporate America is open to that, ready <laughs> for that, receptive to that? <laughs> I, I want to say, I hope so, you know, and it comes back down to the leaders and who are, are structuring it, right? However, that's not the initial setup of it, right? It is very box. It is very results orientated, right? ROIs. And there's a lot of dis- right? There's a lot of disconnection of relationship and environment and just creating that, that sense of community in there. Right. And so I think there's a big, there's a big gap there. And I think that's where I came, you know, with the whole bold piece about the loving and the daring to still have there. Let's talk about what you mean by bold. Can you, I think you have a, an interesting take on bold leadership. Can you share what that is? Well, I do want to say that at first, when I kept being invited to be this bold leader, I actually had some resistance to it because when I heard the word bold, I immediately went to masculine. Yeah. And, you know, what did that mean in your, in your listening about a bold from a bold, from a masculine context, what did bold, what did that bring up? I thought bully, I thought not warm, not welcoming. I felt very ego driven, ego centered, mm-hmm. you know, uh, driven by fear and very results. It was all about the results, all about results. And I'm laughing because my sister used to say to me that I was the type of person that you were either like in the car with me or get the heck out of my way because I'm going to run you over. So a bulldozer, there we go. That's the word. Uh-huh. She, and she would say that to me. She's like, you know, people either with you and they're in your car with you and they're with you. But if they're not with you, you're like, get the heck out of my way because I'm going to run you over. That's how I would define bald. And even my sister saw me as that. And because that was like an old identity, I wanted to change that story. So when I was being, you know, invited to be this bold leader, I was, I had a lot of resistance to that because of how I defined bold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You and I had a lovely conversation to help me break through that, to help me see it in a different light. And then I wanted to define it, not just in terms of bold, but looking at, okay, well, what can the B-O-L-D stand for so we can have a new definition? And so right off the bat, B went being. Of course. Right? Yeah. It starts with your being, right? It starts with, right? It's the B do have, not the have do be. So looking at who you get to be as this leader. Then outrageous came to mind, which I had also had a bit of resistance to that. But mm-hmm. when we look at, you know, the 12 levels of, um, sorry, the, the 12 distinctions of master leadership, it, it, it's there, right. About being these leaders and being really strong in your values as a leader and being change makers and, and things like that. So you really have to have a clear vision of what you stand for and the impact you want to create and the change you want to create in the world. So that does take a bit of I, being out, outrageous in a way, because you really got to know what you stand for. Yeah. Kind of, uh, you know, when I think about outrageous, I think of someone well, you have D, which is daring, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, as someone who is outrageous is someone who is daring to break the mold, mm-hmm. you know, who yeah. dares yeah. to um, go beyond the box, if I may. Yeah. <laughs> daring to break the mold. There's a, there's a, um, there's an interesting risking going for it kind of quality. I'm wondering how that how that translates into the feminine. With the outrage, that is a good question. 
Maybe we, we have to, we'll come back to that. Well, <laughs> if we think about what an outrageous, you know, think of an, a woman that the world looks upon as being outrageous. Oh, I, I mean, Oprah. Oprah is the first person that came to mind. Oprah. Okay. Okay. She was definitely a mold breaker, wasn't she? Yeah. I don't know why this person came to mind for me, but it was Bette Midler. Oh. <laughs> um, or or Cindy Lauper. You know, girls yeah. just want to have fun. Yeah. That kind yeah. of playful, fun. Um, it's okay to be playful and fun and be female and be taken seriously, right? It's yep. like outrageous is kind of the opposite of being serious. Yeah. And so I think women who are striving, who are ambitious and are striving for success in a masculine kind of way, absolutely want to be taken seriously. And that's not to say that all women, we don't want to be taken seriously. Of course we do. Could we be outrageous and be taken seriously? And fun, right? I think that's what happens a lot of times that there's, you know, female or just any, any leaders often lose sight of the fun piece and it gets to be fun. And that's where, you know, outrageous can be more serious or can be more joyful and, and playful. And, and then with the feminine piece too, that's where the L stands for the love. That's where the feminine energy comes in, right? Being authentic, being yourself loving yourself and seeing your value, seeing your worth and really owning that. Um, something else I remember Judith that you helped me understand was the new, like being neutral, that you don't always have to be liked by everybody. And it doesn't mean that you have to change what you stand for. You can agree to disagree and, and you can still have a positive relationship with somebody. And I know as a female leader, that's what oftentimes I feel is missing, right? Is that feminine energy? Is the love? Is the worth? Is the confidence? Is seeing the value in what you bring to the table and knowing it, standing confidently, confidently in that for yourself. And then the D is the daring piece. Is the breaking outside the box? Is working through some of the neuro, your thoughts and your beliefs that are standing in your way. I mean, something I'm always saying to my clients is, you get to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I know this is something you speak into a lot, Judith, as well, right? Because leaders are, they're, they're out there to make change and creating change is not always comfortable. Usually and, it's not. No. <laughs> and we look at our, we look at like our neural networks, which our jobs bring us to keep us in the safe and familiar. So if you are out there making change, if you are out there making an impact, you get to be daring, you get to be uncomfortable, you get to be the risk taker and you get to grow in the process as you learn from what you're, you're doing. And, um, I was going to say about, uh, about the uncomfortability piece, sometimes it's uncomfortable where you are, but yet the, the, the feeling of the next step keeps you safe from, even though, you know, that you want to be on the other side of that wall, right. And busting through the box. So so that's where I looked at the redefining it as bold isn't about ego and fear. It's actually about being powerful and really leading change and, and not doing it alone being like, that's where the love and peace comes in too, is, is getting a community together, like a collective. And as a woman make that stand that you're lifting other people up with you, as you make this change and impact, you're not going at it alone. You're not burning out in the process. 
and that it gets to be this enjoyable experience versus feeling like it's just like a hustle and grind constantly to try to live out the, the desires that you have inside of you, but yet it's feeling like it has to be hard, like ending the story that it has to be hard, that yes, it might be uncomfortable, but it gets to be enjoyable and that you can, you can make a difference. You know what I'm hearing, Alex, is relationship, is mm-hmm. relatedness, that what the feminine aspect brings into a corporate setting or really anywhere is the aspect of relationship, is the aspect mm-hmm. of connection. Mm-hmm. And when we are in relationship with, first of all, obviously beginning with ourselves, if we're in relationship with the moment, if mm-hmm. we're present and in relationship with the moment, whatever is happening in the moment, we're connected. And when that connection occurs, um, magic happens. Yeah. And I think female leaders have the capacity to create magic. I know uh, it's funny when I say magic, I use that term quite loosely because uh, obviously we know that we know how things work and, and, and yet then there's the ineffable you know, there's the mystery, there's what happens in relationship when two people come together and they connect, and then there's a third entity that is created. Um, uh, What are some practical steps that female leaders can take to lead with more love, joy, and connection, and to create cultures of inclusion and empowerment in the workplace? The first thing is getting getting re-grounded in your why. You know, what's important to your values? Why did you choose to be there in the first place? Because I see that happen so often that you lose, so easy to lose sight of why you're even there and just to get regrounded in that. Then curiosity, like being curious. This is one thing that I, it's one of the lessons I really wish that I had known sooner is to ask more questions. Be curious, ask more questions. As you get to know those in your environment, you can build relationships. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're, you don't know what you're doing. You know, yeah. I was so business again, it's the massive, right? So let's get to business. So I was just like, okay, checking in what are the results were versus like, how's it going? And that was something that was some of my mentors taught me. And yet it was so automated for me to just sit there let's get to business. Let's move on. And so shifting that focus on relationship curiosity, communication, and setting your intention. I really found that that was such, that's been such a game changer. Um, You might have your to-do list, but ask yourself as you're going through what you get to do today, how do you get to be, how do you get to show up? What is the intention behind this? Um, Some intentions that I had set when I went back to corporate were to have conversations with some new people. So each day I went in, I was having a conversation with somebody I hadn't had a conversation with before Mm -hmm. to get to know people, to, again, ask questions, to get an understanding of other people's perspective. And a big thing, because I've been hearing a lot of this lately about uh, communication not landing, like feeling like my communication doesn't land, Mm -hmm. is to ask yourself, is it the way that it is being Sorry, how do I, um, sometimes, so I know for myself when I would speak, I would say that my communication isn't landing. What I wasn't aware of is that, and something that leadership has taught me over the last couple of years is that we all have these different operating systems. I've been calling them kind of like your leadership archetype. And which means that we, we give information and we receive it in two different ways. 
I was only seeing it from one way. I was only saying my communication isn't landing. I never thought about the other person and how they were receiving my information. So being able to style flex, being able to understand maybe what's not coming across. Yeah. And I just think just getting to know people more. And I, and I, because I know that this is a really big breakdown for me. I really operated from like, I knew everything and that I had all the answers. And I think being able to be vulnerable and authentic and honest and not going in with the assumption that, you know, everything can really open up a lot of conversation and a lot of possibility that hasn't been, that hasn't existed before. You know what I mean? What I, what I heard just now, what opened up for me just now is that you were being a boss, not a leader. Mm, Yeah. Because the boss comes from, I know everything. I have all the answers. Your job over there, you, the, you know, the employee or uh, your job is to listen and get and understand what I'm about to tell you and Mm -hmm. then go do it. Mm -hmm. So that's a boss. That's not a leader. So uh, that's the shift that I see occurred in you that you went from being a boss with no concept of yourself as a leader, which is boss is very masculine, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. So here you are the mom of a, a little girl and about to become the mom of another daughter. So in raising our daughters, you know, I'm looking at my granddaughter and in the process, she's now in fourth grade. She's you know, ready to go into fifth grade in a couple of months. She goes to year-round school. So her fifth grade, her next year will start in July. So, you know, the way we speak to her, the way we acknowledge her, the the way, you know, we're, we prepare or don't her to be able to operate outside all those traditional striving and pleasing, you know, paradigms. Um, as the mother of two daughters, let's say you're going to be mm-hmm. raising two girls. What do you think is important in terms of mother parenting style, how we raise our daughters so that they grow up empowered so that they see themselves as capable and confident and, you know, all, all of those things. There's, there's two things that came to mind. Uh, when you asked that Judith, one thing was I happened to notice a lot of times older generation will say all the things that like Abby can't do because it's the automatic, it's the automation. It's just that negativity bias that we often are always looking at the negative. So embracing what she can do, like, like changing the conversation and being aware of that, of just terms of how are you having the conversation with, with your children? And then the other thing is the choice really helping her choose and understand and empowering her to make choice. So that's been a big thing uh, for us lately as well as giving her that option versus feeling like she needs to be dictated what to do. Yes, Of course, safety, security is always something to, to keep in mind, but it's just a question of, you know, if she can critically think about her decisions, then she's empowered to make those and she's empowered to, to, to be confident. She's very, very confident. If people know my daughter's being fearless because we've always encouraged her, we, you know, it's, it's, it's that awareness piece of even just how, how one thing, how you're speaking to the, to your daughter, your children, but also how you're speaking to yourself. You know, are you super critical of yourself? Because that's another thing is like our children are sponges. And they're going to pick up on what they see around them as well. So not just being mindful of how we're addressing our children, but how, yeah, how are we speaking to ourselves? 
How are we loving on ourselves? How are we celebrating ourselves? And then how are we translating that and encouraging and celebrating um, yeah. our children? So those yeah. are the- and, and, uh, and I would just add to that, to just kind of pull back in something we said a couple of minutes ago to acknowledge and celebrate process yeah, yeah. versus results. Because yeah. I think, and I'm guilty of this myself, parents and grandparents tend to fall into the trap of acknowledging the results. Mm-hmm. Oh, you made three goals in the soccer game today. How great. Congratulations. I have to pull myself back. You know, my granddaughter plays soccer. She loves it. She wants to be a professional soccer player when she grows up. We'll see where that goes. She certainly would not be discouraged from that if that's what she wanted. But I notice my own tendency. You know, mm-hmm. if I didn't go to a game, I want to know, did you make any goals? How many goals did you make? Blah, blah, blah. And I I interrupt that. I know that it's much more, oh, you, you, you worked really hard today. You, wow, you were really focused. So you, you, you comment on the process, Mm -hmm. not the outcome. And that's, I think that's an interesting uh, threshold for parents to continuously be aware of, because we want to praise our child, right? We want to praise them when they do the things that we want them to do, or they, we do the things that we think are good for them or whatever we want to praise. And one of the things I learned from one of your leadership um, friends who specializes in working with children, she said, don't praise, acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, and you had me think of one other thing as well that we do is acknowledge her way of being. Yes. So go example, the, the three soccer goal, like the three, the three goals, what was her way of being? She was committed. She was determined. Yes. So that's something else as well. I've read that in one of the books, um, yes, children's books, like with the brain. And it, it talked about leading into the ways of being like, she was loving, she was that. So she develops more of that piece versus again, about being the outcome it being about her way of how she showed up. So that that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I have two final questions for you, Alex. Um, if you could go back to that young girl in you mm-hmm. whose parents were divorced, who, you know, took on ways of being and behaviors and patterns that she felt were necessary at the time in order for her to survive so she became uh, a lone wolf. She she became a people pleaser. All of the things that she became. So if you could go back to her from the play, from where you are now, mm-hmm. from a mother with two daughters, from a leader, from a coach, from a mentor, as someone who has learned a lot and incorporated a lot in the intervening years. What would you go back? What would you have wanted back then to hear from someone that there was nobody there to say that? What would you say to her? What counsel would you give her? That she was loved. That she was loved and that she had unconditional love. And she didn't need to do things to be loved. That she was loved and that she was beautiful. You you said something about, "I, I didn't trust. I couldn't trust. Yeah. You said something about trust when we first began this conversation. 
Would so there be anything about trusting, even though it wasn't evident to her at the time? That, that because she was loved, she could trust other people. That people didn't need to earn her trust. That she, she got to trust other people. And that by trusting other people, life would be easier. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't feel like she always had to do all the things. Mm-hmm. That she could just be and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Be and enjoy and being a kid. So those obviously are the messages you get to give to your daughters. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then the final question, Alex, is go out into the future, say 10 years from now. Okay. What do you see for yourself, your life? Who are you being? What are you doing? What are you creating? I am speaking on big stages globally and impacting women. um, teens as well, really want to impact our next generation of leaders as well. And be, yeah, be that motivational speaker and that leader that really helps women shine and thrive and be themselves in doing so, so that they can be at the irresistible leader that is in them. Awesome. Awesome. Beautiful. I can already. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for for being with us today on the new beyond and thanks to all the listeners for joining us here. So until next time, we'll meet you out here in the new beyond many blessings. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Judith. Thank you to all the listeners as well for listening today. Hey, beyond squad listeners, before we go, did you know that I recently released the audiobook version of my best selling book beyond the box lean out Break free, rise up. Yes, it's available on my website, judithrich.com forward slash bookstore. Also, in the bookstore are the second edition ebook versions of my book, now available in both English and Spanish. Just go to my website, judithrich.com forward slash bookstore to purchase your copies. Also, available for purchase is my Legacy Meditation Audio Series, available at judithrich.com forward slash meditations. And lastly, before we go, just a reminder that as a fan of this podcast, you're invited to join our private Facebook group and become part of this community. As a member of the Beyond Squad, my term of endearment for all of you who listen to this podcast You'll be part of our regular engagement opportunities, which include Facebook Lives and thought-provoking conversations that invite deep inquiries into topics of interest in the new beyond. On occasion, I'll be live-streaming content not available here on the podcast. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can join. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I'll see you next time out here in the new beyond. Many blessings.